Hello, everyone, and welcome to the State of Sport Management, a podcast with Dr. Matthew Hummel coming from the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. Here's this week's episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of State of Sport Management. This has been a busy week for me. I did a recording already with Dr. Adam Cohen. That one's already out on sports gambling and the one that will be coming out in the near future. But before this one is being recorded is I had Dr. Richard Labchek, who probably everybody's heard of. He, we had a great conversation on sport diversity. So that one's going on. Then the one after that's going to be my guest today, the recurring guest, the most frequent guest, the person I shared the most profits with on this uh, podcast, which is zero by itself. But we have the newly minted Dr. Savon Foster joining us. So Dr. Foster, how's your day going? Oh, it's going great. Uh, you know, we're towards the end of the semester, dissertation is done. I have nothing else to do. So this is probably the most chill I've been over the last four years. So I'm enjoying it. <laughs> That's a good point, guys. I feel like we started connecting at some point when you were in your last year of your master's uh, yes, sir. and you were applying for PhD programs. And so that is a stressful time. And so, yeah, this might be the least stress you've been since, yeah, who knows, maybe since you entered college. <laughs> No, I, I'm pretty sure that that's right. Uh, and I've just enjoyed every moment of it. I'm still on campus and folks are asking why I'm here. And it's like, well, outside of teaching, um, I just have no idea what to do with my free time right now. So I'm just going to go back to, I guess you can call it my old stomping grounds and just kind of hang around. Yeah, let the guy fish. This is the, this has got to be the ideal weather, at least, to go out fishing down in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've already started doing that. I'm planning trips and everything. So. There's a bunch of different areas that I want to hit throughout throughout uh, the state. And um, these next, what, maybe two months, that's all I'm doing is, you know, fishing and taking care of stuff for our move to Kansas. So to kind of give a quick wrap up for people that maybe just started listening, and this is maybe the first episode with Savon that, that you're listening to itself. When we first started doing this, we did our first year, second year, third year, and this is fourth year for the PhD experience. And so as Save went through, he did his master's at University of Pittsburgh and yes, then ended up going to Texas A&M for his PhD program. And we've been kind of doing reflections of each of the past years. This year will be a little bit different with this being his final year. We will we'll all, I mean, we're also going to talk about his final year experience, but I'm hoping maybe he'll give us a quick long view picture of his PhD experience in general, but then also we'll talk at the end where he's going to be going next. So we'll, to tease that already, he's going to be at University of Kansas. Uh, not to get the KU and athletics all confusing there, but University of Kansas, he's going to be working with their sport management, is it? Sport yes, management sir. program. Um, and so he'll be starting there this fall. Um, so we'll kind of, we'll let him kind of interlude into that. But Savon, let's kind of start with just fourth year. So just kind of put your blinders on, just think of this final year. Think back to, yeah, starting in August. I mean, what was the, the thought process going into year four for you? Uh, year four was a little crazy just because, uh, I've seen other PhD students go through the dissertation process and the job market. Um, so I tried to be a little proactive with that in terms of prepping materials and things of that nature. But then I also realized like I needed to hit the ground running when it came to my dissertation. So um, I think I had to kick it up into a gear that it's never been in before, just because I knew that with all the things moving and different expectations for committee members that it was going to be a tough one, especially depending on how the market looked. Uh, luckily, this year was a really good year. Um, there were a lot of jobs, a lot of opportunities, but um, there was a very, it was a very long process to get my dissertation going. 
Yeah. And I guess we'll get to the job stuff a little bit later, but yeah. So remind us you were entering in the fourth year, you had done your proposal, correct? Or uh, no. So uh, I did almost like a pre-proposal. So over okay. the summer I met with Dr. Singer and I explained to him what I wanted to do for articles one, two, and three. Um, just to make sure that he was on board, that he understood, you know, my vision or my plan and essentially going into the fall, which was when all of the committee members would be mostly available. That's when I plan to do my proposal. I want to say my proposal happened in early September. So pretty much when we all came back to campus to start our fall assignments, um, I hit the ground running with everything, tried to plan ideal times for everyone, putting together my proposal, the written version, as well as the uh, actual presentation, and you know, just tried to make some progress with that. Uh, luckily, uh, I was able to get like essentially preliminary approval. Uh, there were some few things that my uh, that two of my committee members wanted me to polish up and make as strong as possible. So that took a little bit longer, but it definitely helped me out on the back end. Yeah, so you did kind of more of the uncommon fit of having proposal dissertation kind of done within one academic year, but that's very achievable, especially because it sounds like your proposal was really early in that fall semester time frame. Yeah, yeah, it was surprising. Uh, you know, just talking to some of my friends, they were somewhat shocked that I did my proposal so early. But, <laughs> you know, having those uh, meetings with Dr. Singer over the summer definitely helped. And then that also gave me enough time to knock out articles one and two. So essentially, Article Three, in terms of just writing, was most of the uh, was most of, most of the semester. So Articles One and Two were mostly just polishing and prepping, and then Article Three was the main document that I had to write. So, did that mean you were kind of in close communication with not only Dr. Singer but your committee members in that summertime? I'm assuming you probably had to get some prep work to make sure dates and ideas and everything was kind of lined up for that September proposal, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So for uh, so for articles one and two, my main contacts were Dr. Singer and Dr. Cooper. Those were the uh, main two who really helped shape articles one and two. Uh, for article three, I, literally as soon as I got on the campus, I started meeting with Dr. Bryson, started meeting with Dr. Knight in terms of letting them know what the expectations were for article three. They gave me a lot of feedback and uh, they were able to provide a lot of insight on what their expectations were, especially because I, when I was using uh, critical discourse analysis focused on HBCUs, so some some newer areas within support management and newer approaches, and they're like, hey, this is how you prep it for you know a manuscript, and this is how you get it ready for a journal, and uh, so that took a little more time, but they were on board by the time I had my proposal, they just wanted me to really flesh out that first half of Article 3 before um, I got their final stamp of approval and could move, move forward to data collection. Okay, and so I love the idea of doing multiple papers as a dissertation. It seems more practical, and it's, yeah. I don't know, It's dissertations are kind of funny because we're supposed to build this huge volume of work on one topic. It's like writing an academic article, but you're writing it over 100 to 250 pages or whatever exactly but then you leave and you go and at kansas or wherever everyone goes and then you end up writing these academic articles that are 25 to i don't know we'll say 45 pages long and it's very different i mean do you feel that these this is a much more practical better setting than if you had to write a huge substantial paper on one topic oh definitely i think that was one of the reasons why i wanted to do a three article approach um, just prepping for it 
being able to outline my intro and then articles one and two already stood on their own. Articles three, article three was rather easy to put together on the back end. Um, it just seemed a little more streamlined and it really fit my approach as opposed to trying to put together because, I mean, even though they say that there's no quote unquote page expectation, you start looking at other dissertations that other people have written. It's like, well, I want to make sure that this is, you know, as detailed, as expansive as possible. But, you know, being able to just have chapter four just be 35 pages because it's focusing on this one particular topic seems a lot easier. And, it, and I saw the development in my writing as time went on. By the time I got to article three, minimal feedback, minimal edits, and it's like, okay, you know, I think I, I think now I'm starting to figure out the formula. So just writing manuscripts has started to become a little easier because of this dissertation process. Okay, and it sounds like from what you're saying that A&M has an option where you can do the multiple manuscripts or you can do a traditional dissertation, is that right? Uh, yes, so uh, it's been an option for a while. I wanna say since I've gotten to the university, it's been an option but it's gotten very popular within our program within maybe the last um, two years, two to three years, I think more students have seen the benefits of doing a uh, article style as opposed to the traditional manuscript. So I'm expecting potentially a, out, of the, out of our remaining PC students, like another five or six article style dissertations. Okay. And is that something that, I mean, when did you have that conversation with your, I'm assuming your advisor at some point of which direction you wanted to take that? Uh, I want to say that was closer towards, closer towards my third year in preparation for comps. He wanted to uh, just have an idea of what my plans were for my dissertation. And I did a lot of research on my end, making sure I knew every base to cover, um, with the article style dissertation. So I read a lot of information from like OGAPS, which is like our graduate professional uh, professional school's office and um, tried to make sure that everything was covered, everything was detailed before I started, you know, having conversations with Dr. Singer. And uh, he was on board. He saw, the, he saw the benefits of using it. I saw the benefits of using it. So we were able to kind of connect and move forward with that. But it was a pretty early conversation because if not, if he said no or if, that wasn't a direction used within our program, I would have to redirect and figure out how I was going to do my dissertation. Transitioning away from dissertation to proposal, thinking more about defense. So you, you get the go ahead, you're, I'm assuming collecting data, but really just probably writing, 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 writing. Yeah. You get to defense. I mean, when, I mean, let's talk about setting dates. I'm assuming you reach out to the committee. Do they want to look at some early work to see if you were in good enough shape for going for defense or was that kind of more um, Dr. Singer, I'll say John Singer in case anyone isn't familiar with that name, but is there any, like, how did that process work for you setting that date? So <laughs> setting the date was, it was definitely tough. Everyone by that time of the year, I want to say I reached out to my committee in February. Um, so I, in my opinion, I felt that my writing was ready to go by February 1st. So I sent it out to my committee just so I can get early feedback if there were anything, if there were uh, any things that needed to be adjusted. Um, but I want to say once I started reaching out to them, I eventually found ways to get into their schedule. And um, for our program, it's expected that your committee at least receives your final draft or near final draft at least two weeks before your defense. I want to be a little more proactive and send it to them earlier just so as I'm putting together the presentation, if there are any gaps, 
in my written version that I'm doing my presentation off of, I can adjust both of those to try to make as strong of a uh, defense as possible. Okay. And I mean, yeah, I think it's awesome that you got yours done early enough in the spring that you're almost able to <laughs> enjoy the finish of the spring semester. I mean, did that help? I mean, do you feel like that'd be better than if you're doing it right now? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, well, one, A&M, they're, they're pretty strict when it comes to the dissertation process. Um, I had until March 10th to defend, and then my final written version needed to be submitted to the university March 25th. Okay. So talking to some of my friends and other programs, that's a lot earlier than the, the schedules that they have to follow. So uh, A&M kind of contributed to me knocking it out earlier. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I knew that I wanted to take care of that as soon as possible, just because, uh, again, by that time I didn't, well, by the time I started planning and thinking and laying out the year, I had no idea how all the other pieces would move. I didn't know how my classes would go or, you know, the dynamic in the classroom. I didn't know what the job market would look like or, you know, my prospects on the market. So I tried to lay out the one thing I could control, which would, which would have been my dissertation defense because everything else, there's other people involved, uh, other people a little bit more involved in, you know, what I'm writing and the data I'm collecting and the arguments that I'm making. Yeah, I, I agree. Of, I always say that this set a deadline for your committee. It's this... I guess this is very similar to me how I feel about journal reviews. Everybody yeah. can get them done quickly, but people somehow like the idea that they have 30 days to do it, but it's not like they take 30 days to go through that paper. They just pick a day that's yeah. probably at the deadline and they just get it done. And so I always tell people like, Hey, as soon as your committee lets you set a date, just do it because yeah. like just whatever needs to be, what motivation needs to be created to get it done, just do it. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's the thing. My, my, uh, I reached out to all my committee members after they had the written version and part of the reason why I gave it to them early was, Hey, do you believe that I'm ready for a late February, early March defense? And after everyone looked at it, they were incredibly confident with what I put together. They were excited for the defense. So that was the other thing. So it, 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 it was, everyone knew that I wanted to graduate in May. They knew that that was a process I wanted to take and they made sure that everything I wrote, everything that I planned to put together was, as strong as possible. So it was almost like a floating deadline. Everyone knew that I wanted to graduate in May. So there was a very short window that I had and they made sure that I, I fell within that window. Okay. And I think the last question I have on this dissertation is, assuming with these articles, how does this work when it comes to submission? Have you already submitted all your work from a dissertation or is this one of these things that you kind of just wait until day one at the job and then submit everything? Uh, so I want to say article one was already submitted just because the timing of it, we believe that it would have been accepted before graduation. It, it's actually been accepted. Uh, I received a, uh, except with minor revisions last month. So I made those revisions and now it's going through like the final process, but articles two and three, I'm actually going to, uh, wait, polish those up a little more and then, um, get those in, you know, once I get the canceled. Now I want to kind of take this out to big picture thinking about mm -hmm. young, precocious, Savon Foster entering into PhD program. I mean, a lot's happened in four years. Um, yeah. I mean, let's kind of take us through that. I mean, what's it like you reflecting back? What's it been like? I mean, do you think that this has been a worthwhile experience? Do you feel like you've learned an incredible amount in those four years? Oh, definitely. Um, 
like just looking back, I remember when I first came in and I literally knew nothing. Didn't really <laughs> didn't really know how to navigate uh, any of those spaces. And I want to say imposter syndrome was super rare. Like one of my really good friends, I tell him all the time that with him being a second year student now, and this being my very first semester, we took org studies together. And I tell him all the time, like, man, I had so much imposter syndrome just sitting next to you in class because you're sitting here and you're talking and explaining. And it's like, man, I have no idea what we're talking about. And then, um, you know, just being able to talk to other students and get advice, I just, I can see the growth in myself over time. Um, one of the things that I'm glad I picked up early on was that my PhD experience is very customizable. Like I can add certain classes, add uh, certain approaches, and then that kind of tailors my experience and makes it drastically different than others. Uh, and I think that's what really shaped my experience and made it worthwhile being able to tap into the higher ed classes, tap into some sociology classes, be able to build relationships with students and faculty all across the university. And then uh, going to conferences and, you know, having established faculty members tell me, you know, I put together a great presentation. I'm looking forward to future work, those types of things. Uh, it just kind of validates you a little more. And I think that's what every PhD student is looking for is a little bit of validation to know that, hey, every step that they're taking, because we have far more agency than what, you know, what an undergraduate or what a master, a master student might feel, because we have so much agency, knowing that we were on the right path, definitely made, uh, made this a uh, worthwhile experience. And I'm looking forward to uh, one finishing, but then also just looking back and saying like, wow, I really did it. I really made it through. And what I did was, I guess, right in, in a certain sense, like I did it the right way. And you talked about a lot of agency. I mean, do you feel like you have control at A&M to choose like your research topics or is it just, you think it just focus on curriculum? Oh, it was research too. Uh, I was able to come to Dr. Singer with any idea I had and we've done it multiple times throughout my four years here. I'll start from just like the big question or, you know, whatever observation I, I came across and narrow it all the way down to what journal I want to submit it to. So uh, I had a lot of control and, you know, he would provide feedback. Obviously, you know, he's been in the game for a long time. So, you know, he's, he's able to tell me like, hey, you know, if you want to submit it to this journal, your approach needs to be drastically different than if you wanted to submit it here. Every journal has a tone, they have an approach and you want to be mindful of that, which is one of the big lessons I really appreciate from him, from him just because as someone reading all the articles, it's just academic, they're just academic journals. And I didn't realize how much more, like how much nuance goes into those spaces. Uh, but I mean, I feel like I had control in every single aspect. I mean, outside of our structured curriculum that was required, uh, even in the classroom, some of our seminars, I still got to add a more critical and a more sociological approach towards our org studies, towards our marketing courses, and even our quantitative courses. I still found ways to inject myself into that. And I think our program did a great job of supporting students in their pursuit of personalizing their education and their research. I just want to make the record show that Savon called Dr. Singer old. The state of sport management podcast is very much not saying that. John's been around for a long time, as he said. Uh, it's okay. I mean, he knows. I've, I've told him that he's a veteran, so he knows what's up. <laughs> um, I think you hit on a really good point. of It is amazing. I guess it, this 
ends up becoming a byproduct of getting rejections and having to go to different journals. And what was okay with one journal is not okay with the next. And I don't mean a necessarily in a rejection, but I've definitely gotten feedback from going to like a business journal to sport management or sport management to higher ed of like, Hey, why are you so focused on this? Like that's, yeah. that doesn't really seem to fit with us or um, it kind of, that's why I don't even know if I'd say theoretical frameworks are necessarily off base, but you can tell which journals are more friendly to having that type of uh, conversation. Yeah. But you definitely can tell like from a narration of if you are talking about your context a lot, that might be very different for sport management to business, to communication, to psychology or whatnot. And that's where that's what might need to be adjusted on a manuscript manuscript basis, or if you get rejected and kind of having to change at least the introduction of your study within that journal. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's that's one of the things where I think is unique about my dissertation is the fact that you can, uh, I guess, like once the, once the uh, articles are published, you'll be able to tell with, like how I tailored uh, each article to, the, to a specific journal. So it's pretty cool uh, just to see that. But then also just working with Dr. Knight, that was one of the big questions he, he would ask me for any, any project or any idea of what journal because he always knew that depending on the journal, my approach would have to change. And I think that's something that will eventually be taught to PhD students. And that's something that we'll be able to pick up mm. on uh, early on just to streamline the process because we know that the publication and review, review process takes a long time. So I think that'll be uh, another soft skill that'll be brought in to uh, other PhD students just to help us be more productive, but then also kind of curb the uh, frequency of rejection a little bit, especially with our earlier works. Mm, that's a good point. Um, thinking back, I know when you were starting your PhD, we had a conversation about like things to think about going into it and all that stuff. But what would you tell yourself, like thinking back to your first year entering a and like what advice would you give yourself kind of going into day one? Uh, <clears throat> I would tell myself first, stick, stick to your guns. Uh, like I'll say my gut instinct has, uh, me out a lot when it came to selecting courses, committee members, research ideas, uh, anything. So, you know, some of my most successful years or most successful uh, semesters were the semesters where I kind of just blocked out the external noise and just kind of stuck with what I wanted to do or stuck with my approach. Uh, it may not have always resulted in, you know, the ideal outcome, but I see how everything's kind of pieced together and helped create this uh, this culminating experience has been one really good, but then also it's definitely shown that, you know, I can be successful as a uh, professional. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I mean, even thinking back to the schools you were deciding on, is there something that you'd be like, Hey, you know, this was good about the process for me looking for that or looking for a, a position or even a, an opportunity in a PhD program. I mean, did you feel like that was a fruitful experience or do you think some PhD programs could use some adjustment on how they're recruiting students? Uh, I think I think the tough thing with PhD programs in general is they're few and far between. So it's almost like, hey, you know, the, the recruitment is kind of within itself. But uh, one of the things that myself and a lot of other students have talked about throughout, throughout the time is just like the type of image or tone or, you know, reputation that programs present. And I've been able to see a lot of programs start, start to become more active on social media, show a little more personality, those types of things. And that's something that really sticks out. So uh, the, the big critique I had was, you know, gain, uh, developing a more uh, virtual presence. 
I've been glad to see that programs have been able to do that and that faculty within those programs have also been able to do that. I think that helps with the recruitment process in general because uh, a lot of students come in, they're nervous, they're scared, they're apprehensive to connect with other faculty, but being able to see like, hey, we like the same TV show or you know, we've gone to the same restaurant multiple times, like there's other ways that we can connect with you, um, makes it a lot easier to start navigating that space because that's how it was when I first came in. I was nervous maybe my first semester to have general conversations with our faculty members. So uh, being able to kind of see a little more of them outside of the academic space helped. Yeah, that I mean, I could even say that for my own colleagues, I feel like with COVID and stuff, it just, you start to feel like very much like a gig worker, like I'm just working yeah. from afar. And um, obviously I don't want to, obviously gig workers have a much more difficult financial situation and like healthcare releases, but it, like, it creates that dynamic of feeling very separate from people on that. Um, I mean, anything else? I mean, what would you tell, like not even so much for you, you're at a very well-known PhD sport management program. I and mean, what would you tell first years entering into A&M about what their upcoming experience is going to be like? Oh, it's the same. I actually tell them this every time uh, I have conversations uh, is to never compare your your walk or your journey with anyone else. Uh, that That's the cool thing about a PhD program is we all have different interests. We all have different concentrations and cognates and even courses are offered at different times. So you can't track what you've done to someone else, even if you all have the same interests. Uh, <clears throat> and I think that's definitely helped in their experience just because I start to see them like as we're having a conversation I see a little bit of a relief coming over them and it's like yeah you know like you can't like you can't think that you have to reach this arbitrary goal to be considered a good PhD student and you know I was on that you know my first year uh, I, I think I was the only student in our program who didn't get to go to NASM because I, nothing was accepted at NASM. And, you know, I mean, like it, it was awkward and it was weird, but, you know, I've been able to, to present at NASM a couple of times, been able to go to other conferences. And like, it's awesome. It's awesome to have that feeling and, you know, being able to have that transition. It's like you have no idea where people are going to end up. And, you know, you have no idea where you're going to end up. All you have to do is just have your journey, have fun with it and make it as much of you as you can. Yeah. I mean, you can add into this too, because I think that really is great advice because entering into a PhD program, I was really focused on, I just want to go to a teaching institution. I'm a Grand Valley State alum. I always thought like, Hey, a place like there or University of Tampa, someplace that, which I think Tampa has a job opening at least as we're speaking right now, but like a place like that, it was like, Hey, you know, it'd be cool to go to a larger city. That's a teaching institution. That'd be what I want to focus on. And I'm very different now than I was then. Like I really yeah. focus on my research and I'm at a R1 institution. I mean, did you kind of go through that? You're at a different place where you're going to, um, or you have different visions or career goals than you did when you entered it? Oh uh, yeah. So, um, I was very much the same. Uh, it's funny, uh, Dr. Marlene Dixon, we had a, a PhD seminar and she asked everyone a question like, oh, okay, who wants to go to an R1? And everyone else put their hands up except for me. And, uh, you know, and that was perfectly fine. But, you know, some of my colleagues were like, why don't you want to go to R1? It's like, well, I have no problem going to one, but I am open to teaching institutions, hybrid institutions. Like I'm, I'm, I'm open to everywhere. I don't want to narrow my scope to just R1. 
And then, but that was also when I wasn't as confident when it, when it came to my research and I was really, really focused on teaching. And it's funny because now I'm incredibly confident while still also being very focused on my teaching. And now I'm able to see like, hey, I can be successful in any of these spaces. And it was just by a chance that, you know, I ended up getting a position at an R1 institution. But um, I mean, as time has gone on, I've been very intentional about what spaces I wanted to be in. So I knew what type of university. And part of that is me being lucky as an admissions recruiter at Pitt. Uh, whenever I would go to like large college fairs and things like that, and some of the other admissions counselors, we would, you know, talk and shoot the breeze afterwards. We were able to just learn more about different institutions. So I've always taken what I've learned as an admissions counselor and kept it in my back pocket and try to think like what type of university could I be happy at whatever university do I feel like I can make an impact at? And those were also things that I considered moving forward. So it wasn't just like teaching or research. It was, you know, what space can I navigate the easiest? What space gives me the opportunity to have a platform on campus and those types of things. And, you know, as the job search went on, I, I want to say just my applications in general were very diverse uh, in terms of what type of institutions I applied to. And, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy to just see kind of how it finished out uh, with me ending up at uh, University of Kansas. Yeah, I mean, it warms my heart, I guess, to think of <laughs> one college, former college student personnel person talking to another about using some of those skills. I mean, I mean, that has to be helpful, right? Like you having yeah. that academic background going into the PhD program. Oh, yeah. I mean, just being able to navigate the university. I think that's what made my experience considerably different than others. And I've tried to always push that information out to everyone. Like, hey, these are some resources that no one knew about. Like just even using the uh, course catalog to learn a little more about classes and things like that, or being able to go back into previous semesters and seeing that type of information, things that like academic advisors would know or academic advisors could point students in, the, in that same direction, being able to do that for some of my colleagues. And, um, you know, just seeing what different resources were around uh, one of the things that I've always tried to do is just be as helpful as possible. And, you know, I, I want to say I've helped out a few of, a few of the uh, newer PhD students just in their transition, just from being able to use that, that background. But then also just looking at institutions, you know, they're asking, what am I looking for in a job? And I can point out some of the things that I learned through my master's program and say, like, well, you know, even though I'm not looking at a uh, staff position, I'm, these are still things that are important that should be considered uh, in your search. Yeah, the navigation to me is the biggest part. It's yeah. I don't know, it's tough to put myself in the shoes of someone entering into college for the first time, as even just as only on the student side, just whether that's experience of PeopleSoft, Canvas, Blackboard. I mean, yeah. you name your LMS or whatever. I feel like there is that dance, and you also kind of have an idea of like who you can contact to get things moving along, even if it's a title or learning on that. It's just I don't even, there's no training for that for PhD students. It's just kind of like, yeah. you just, you're, it's very much like on the teach, like on the student side of kind of learning how to do all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Let's kind of switch a little bit to talk about that job stuff. So obviously, mm -hmm. yeah, you went in this year and ended up great, but there was lots of unknown. We, we were like a year off from COVID budgetary. You just don't know if people are going to get the green lights on things. There was a lot of good signs. I saw plenty of schools talking about enrollment records or enrollments being strong but I'm sure you were probably nervous going in, wondering what the job market would look like. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the first thing was I just didn't know which, like what types of universities would have jobs available or, you know, what they were looking for in terms of, you know, research and teaching expertise. 
Uh, luckily for me, I have a bachelor's in sport management. So most of the curriculum that many undergraduate programs offer, I've been in most of those classes. Uh, I didn't realize it, but I realized it this semester, but like even Dr. Cunningham, I use his diversity in sport organizations book as an undergrad. So just being able to see the transformation of that and being able to point my students like, hey, Dr. Cunningham, he's been contributing and like been polishing and developing this book for, for quite a while. And, you know, being able to kind of see that, that, that was like one of my big calling cards. Like I've been in this undergraduate space, so I have a better understanding of it. But again, I didn't know where, I didn't know, uh, you know, who or what they were looking for. So that made it uh, really difficult and even trying to tailor applications to be more specialized to the institution. That took far more time than what people prepped me for. I mean, there were times where, you know, it would take two, three hours to actually get through a cover letter to where I actually felt confident that it matched up with the uh, job posting. And then that's just one piece out of five more materials that they needed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, mean, I wanna say I spent maybe a week, even a little bit longer on some applications. And uh, then you're just waiting. And it's the, it's the mental anguish of waiting. Every time I get an email notification, just freaking out. And once you see the name, like University of Georgia, and it's like application status, and it's giving you some update, and or, or yeah. it's like you know it's the search committee chair, or whatever that is. But I mean, see so yeah, how so you're in the middle of you're in the throes of dissertation, you're teaching classes, and now suddenly you have to spend all this time on job search. Like, how did you balance all those things to to happen at the same time? All right, so I'm gonna give a shout out to Dr. Christy Oshiro. Uh, I was able, I was able to connect with her while she was at AM. Me and her were really tight. And she told me that part of her job and dissertation process was she had dedicated days to her dissertation and dedicated days to the job. So being able to do that was probably one of the smartest things um, that she like that she taught me, but I've been able to apply to myself. Um, I want to say I taught on Tuesdays and Thursdays last semester. So being able to teach Tuesday and Thursday and then use before and after to just focus on application and then using Monday, Wednesday, Friday to focus on dissertation. Uh, I would use the weekend to kind of recoup and kind of assess what needs to be done moving forward. So the weekends, they were always like a preparation period. And uh, that I didn't realize how much it helped me until I started moving a lot quicker with applications. I started figuring out like what needed to be changed and those types of things. But then also I got to a point to where after the data was collected from my dissertation, everything else became a breeze, essentially. Let's fast forward to Kansas making the offer. I mean, what was that day like? What was that moment like reading or oh. getting that phone call? So uh, it was actually like two days before my birthday. So uh it, like it, it was perfect time. It's like, man, this is right before my birthday. Um, and, you know, essentially uh, I received a text message like, hey, someone's going to reach out to you um, to plan like a Zoom call. And uh, like for me, it was just like, OK, you know, what's going to happen? My heart's pounding. So uh, going into it, uh, I already knew that if it was an offer, what type of things I wanted to negotiate. Uh, shout out to your previous episodes on negotiations. <laughs> um, nice. But, uh, you know, it was, it was uh, like, I, 
started talking to Dr. Singer ahead of time. He's like, hey, what type of things do you want to negotiate? And then looking at looking back at your uh, previous episodes, uh, kind of knew what I wanted to go after. But um, it was just a lot of emotion just because it's like, wow, um, the semester is not even over with. It's right before my birthday. I'm getting a job offer. And, you know, Kansas has been on my radar for a long time. Um, you know, I always tell I always told folks and I mean, I even told them, uh, uh, the faculty up there afterwards that uh, if I did go R1, uh, Kansas would be my first option in terms of going R1. Uh, I love the approach of the program. I love the personality the program shows and, you know, just the student experiences and being able to connect with some faculty who have gotten through their program. So uh, it's definitely stuck out to me that way. Um, but it, like, it, it was like a sigh of relief. But then, you know, reality hit like, wow, you know, moving to Kansas, starting a faculty job, um, like it's, it's getting real now. It's almost like going from practice and then having that first that first game. Uh, essentially, that's how it felt to me. I know. I was going to say, like, you've you've done a you've done a quite a cross country style because, I mean, you've been I mean, what are all the places that you've lived in now so far? Yes. Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Went down to Winston-Salem for undergrad, so spent four years in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Then I lived in Pittsburgh for two years, completing my master's. Then College Station, and then uh, now going to uh, Kansas. So, yeah, I've bounced around a lot. Oh, man, and you'll be so close. You'll be able to check out Kansas City and all the amenities oh, over man. there and everything. I can't wait. So, uh, I mean, like, that that's one of the things. Like, Kansas City has always been a city that's, that's, uh, that's been on my list. Uh, and I don't know, like, I'm a real big uh, – I'm a really like real estate nerd and like I like infra like city infrastructure and stuff. So being able to go see different types of cities and seeing like how they've built and developed themselves over time, that's something that's like always been been, been something I like to do. So even coming here and living in College Station and seeing how AM and how the city built itself around AM, um, or living in Pittsburgh and seeing how the city built itself around the three rivers and the coal mines and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool to just be in a different area, see the agriculture, see industry, see those types of things and how it's changed the landscape for the state of, uh, state of Kansas and some of the uh, surrounding areas. So I'm going to do a lot of traveling, a lot of nerdy stuff while I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, and hopefully you'll get a chance to, to go to some conferences. Are you going to any conferences still in the spring, summer, or are we not going to be able to see you till next fall, spring? Yeah. So uh, just because I had no idea how things are going to go as well as like, just from a, uh, just from like a preparation standpoint, I won't be going to conferences this year. I did, I am a part of a collaborative piece for NASM, but I won't be in attendance. Um, that's myself, Dr. Singh, uh, Dr. Springer, uh, Dr. Marlene Dixon, Dr. Arden Anderson. We all put together a piece, but uh, I'll be around in the fall. So I'm already have things in the chamber, ready to go, ready to submit. So you all will see me consistently um, from this fall on forward. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and I guess I'll finish you up here with one of the, like a final fun question. Hopefully I haven't asked this to you before, but thinking back um, and let's knock out any A&M folks, because those are your, your folks, but is there anyone that you ran into or met at a conference that wasn't related to A&M that really wowed you? Or I was like, oh my gosh, I'm meeting so-and-so right now. Like, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I want to say it was uh, Dr. Amanda Polikova. Yeah. Oh man, she is like she is awesome. Like I remember y'all's episode, but I met her at NAS in Virginia Beach, and I've just like read a lot of her research in terms of like student athlete experience, student athlete development. So I've cited her so much in just like class <laughs> projects and class papers. 
it was definitely one of those moments where it's like, oh, snap, like I'm actually meeting someone who I cite consistently. And, uh, you know, she's super nice, super friendly. Uh, she's awesome. So, uh, and, you know, she's definitely given me some opportunities, uh, you know, just to build and develop myself as a scholar. So that was definitely my wow moment in terms of people I've met. Yeah, no, Amanda's awesome. I have my own Amanda story. I met her the first time when CSRI was still on Chapel Hill. I think it was the yeah. last year it was in Chapel Hill. I was just some dumb master student. I didn't know any better, but I was there trying to learn and she was really welcoming. I remember we, mm-hmm. I ended up sitting next to her at one of the, like the big panel meetings. Like there was nothing else going on, but um, I actually think at the time they were talking about, it was like an early discussion on paying athletes and what that would look like and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah, she sat next to me and she was really, really kind and nice and kind of gave me guidance on how to best or like maximize my time at the conference and what presentations to check out and what can to like what to do in the meetings and all that stuff. And yeah, that was amazing. So yeah, Amanda Polikova, big time. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, awesome. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, Savon. Well, this is, uh, I don't want to say your last time because I'm not going to promise I will never bother you again to come on here, but at least you're last for this experience through that. So I appreciate you letting us kind of be uh, a passenger on this journey and congratulations. Good luck at Kansas. And next time I see you at a conference, I owe you a drink. I will let you choose yes, it as sir. long as it's not above like $100. Oh, yeah, of course. Not. I'll keep it easy on you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my books are always open for you. Like anytime you want me to get on or anything, like I'm always down. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us here. And thanks again to Savon for joining us on this one to finish up before he goes to Kansas. But thanks for joining us for this episode. And hopefully you will join us for the next one.